Hey, hmm? put that away. I'm Melvin Van Peebles. If I can put my cigar away, you can put your cell phone away. You can put the other stuff away. This is a movie, huh? You paid your bread. Let's watch the whole thing together, all right? Don't make me mad. Thank you. Chris Kelsey here with Matt Howell. On this episode of The First Run, Matt and I are going to discuss Cry Macho. Clint Eastwood returns, Matt. I could have sworn he retired from acting years ago. I think Gran Torino was supposed to be his last film, but that hasn't been the case. Clint's back doing his little neo-western, and I want to talk about that. Uh, we're also going to discuss the BET original, <laughs> Karen. Yeah, which I have a few thoughts about, Matt. I'm sure you do as well. I'm wondering, I was trying to figure out how many times did Matt curse me while he was watching that film. And then we'll tell you what's coming up in physical media, featuring your streaming and straight-to-DVD picks of the week. And then we'll close out the show with the return of Who Dat, everybody's favorite role-playing game. Matt, I'm very excited for this week. Got a bunch of good, good masks for us to wear. But let's start everything off with a clip from Cry Macho, a movie about a rooster. What do you want? You remember I had a son, Raphael? Yeah. That's him, like at five or six. Well, he's 13 now, and I want to get him out of Mexico. I want to get him up here. I want to do the right thing. I want him to live with me. What does his mother think about that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, Letta. She's a nutcase. I mean, she was fun at a party, but and she gave me him. Yeah. But he's in trouble. Mike, the kid's in trouble, and I got to get him out of there. Yeah. Why don't you call the authorities then? I can't go to the authorities. I have legal issues. I can't go back into Mexico. That reminds me of you, Matt. So, Matt, share with a loving audience, what is Cry Macho all about? Thank you for playing that clip, Chris, because it basically explains the entirety of the story. Um, Chris, uh, Clint Eastwood is a washed up uh, radio, oh, radio, rodeo star and failed horse breeder who is hired to go back into Mexico and bring back a young man. And the rest of the film is about the life lessons that they learn along the way. Very good. So Clint's clocking in right now at 91. All right. We'll say then he was 90 maybe, when he uh, put this film together. And a lot of Clint's films, Matt, are known typically because they're very straightforward. All right, there's Outside of, I think, of maybe Unforgiven for his last film, he's not known for nuance, right? It's just very basic, straightforward narratives uh, about what we're going to talk about. Like, where, where he basically deconstructed the Western in Unforgiven. We're now brought to this neo-Western, Cry Macho, where he plays, as he said, this, I don't know, broken cowboy going on one last ride at the age of 90. And I feel like, Matt, that's my issue. Not only is the film very basic, very unnuanced, and very slight, I'm concerned, and maybe this is ageist of me, that Clint's just too old for the role. What are your thoughts? All valid complaints. And I think um, it's all right on the money. I think... 
I was this is a this is an interesting week of the first run in my decade of doing this. Um, that this is right up there with one of the least excited sets of uh, movies that I had to watch um, in a one-two punch. And this, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's hard to take Clint seriously. And again, this may be ageist, but he he just kind of looks so frail. And like, he, mm-hmm. he, he sounds like my, he, he talks like my grandfather who's in his nineties. And it's just, I know I find it hard to believe that he would kind of go on this trip or anybody would hire him to have to go on this trip to bring back a, a young te- teenager through 1970s Mexico. And honestly, there's not much to this. I mean, there's, they're trying to kind of give this, you know, life lessony kind of thing and like how you're winding down in your life and the things that are your most important, but it's not really what I want from a Clint Eastwood movie, if that makes any sense. Not to say that I think any of his latest movies have been any great feats, for sure. What was that abomination we we watched a couple of years ago? What, with that 1517 the- to Paris? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Called? Yes. So bad. That film, yeah, is atrocious. It's really... I wanted Clint just to hang it up at that point. I, didn't, though, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want him to go out on a film as bad as that. But, man, that was bad. Richard Jewell, I don't think, was terribly good. It was all right. The Mule, not a big fan of it, though no. I appreciate, you know, and I think, and it continues in this film, though, minus the threesomes. No threesomes this time. I'm liking The Mule. But Clint, in his late-age fascination with uh, Latin women, uh, continues in this film. So, I, yeah, it's seeing, listen, Clint is old. And seeing an icon kind of just rambling through this film, it just didn't sit right with me. I think early 60s Clint, I think, would have been a much more interesting uh, choice to play this role. And uh, there are some nice moments in the film. I think Mike Milo's backstory and I think the simplicity of the narrative maybe could have been advantageous if it was a deeper character study about this broken man trying to deal with his past and what he lost instead of this geriatric whisper thin adventure, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's a lot of just nothing happening in these moments that don't really add up or amount to anything. I appreciate that Clinton didn't use the yellow filter on Mexico. That's been so prevalent these last, what, 10, 15 years since traffic in Sicario. Uh, but in the end, Matt, I felt like it's basically, you know, you're, you're sitting down with your grandfather and he's telling you this story you've heard a dozen times. And you're like, listen, you're just happy he's still around to tell the story. And that's basically kind of how I felt with this. There is some really horrible dialogue in this film, poorly delivered by, you know, former, as I say, it's fair to say, former country superstar Dwight Yoakam. And then the young man who plays Yoakam's son, Eduardo Manette. Again, not good. There's some painful scenes in this film. And it's just trying to show this, what, redemption story for this broken cowboy. But it never, you never feel for it. It never feels like it goes anywhere. We just got to hit point A to point B. Got to get the kid home. And then maybe something relatively Golden Girls-esque levels of adventure excitement is going to happen. And that's it. It's almost instantly forgettable and it's really it's too bad to see that this is where we are at this point in his career yeah i guess it was inevitable at this point i mean it's for somebody who's still making movies and still acting in movies which is a strange choice but 
I guess if this ends up being Clint Swan song, if this is his final role and final film, um, at least it wasn't 1517 to Paris. Yeah, I guess going out on Richard Jewell would have been a little bit better. But in the acting performance with the mule, I probably would have been happier if that was the last performance with the mule. I think that would have been all right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do have issues with Gran Torino, but it's a far superior film than any of the last couple of films he's actually starred in, unfortunately. And that was in 2008. I know. So well, he was still had some real vitality to himself. He was not a shadow of what he used to be as far as an acting presence goes. No, that's very true. That's very true. Did you know originally Schwarzenegger was signed to star in this role back in 2011? Really? Yeah, but it was canceled after a scandal. I'm wondering if that was when everything broke about him and his maid. Was it that long ago? I mean, was it only was it that recent? I thought it was longer than that, but maybe it's not. It's 2011, and I don't remember when that stuff happened with Arnie and his and his help. Yeah, interesting. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know if that would have been interesting. Uh, listen again. If this is Grand, I, I would push it to Grand Torino Eastwood age. That would have been the top end, right? right? I think that he could have pulled this role off, but unfortunately, at this point, he can't. It's just it's. I can't even decide what I want to give this as a grade, Matt. Right now, I have a C on it, and I feel like it's just because I love the guy. You know, I feel yeah. it's like, you know, it's all right, Gramps. You still got it a little bit. You know, and, and the performance <laughs> for him is okay. It's not like, but you, you said he just seems so frail. Like, there's no way he survives this trip. Right. There isn't. Right. I don't know. That's, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I stick with the C. I feel I'm being generous just for a lifetime yeah. of work. Yeah, you are being very generous. I, uh, I'm gonna go D plus. Really, I'm gonna be more more real on this uh, on this rating. Um, it's not as bad as some of his real later work, but it's it's again, it's 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 just not worth your time, unfortunately. Yeah. All right, Clint. Let's see what you do next. I don't know. Are you gonna be the new James Bond? Who knows what's gonna happen with this guy? He's gonna keep going. I read an interview where he basically says, as long as people keep turning out to the theaters or I guess the streaming numbers, if he probably even understands what that is at this point or still there, he says he's going to keep making movies. So I don't, I don't know. If you had a chance to see cry Macho, which is playing in theaters right now and is available on HBO max for probably another couple of weeks, shoot an email at feedback at the first run.com. We would love to hear your thoughts. Coming up on physical media, this upcoming Tuesday, September 28th, the latest film in a series of movies where I've seen them all and I've basically mostly been underwhelmed by them. So this is the latest. Let's hear a clip. Come on, the, the, the cell things, the, 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 the chingaderas esta, the, the, the towers. The, yeah, the towers, the, the cell towers, they are cutting them. Hey, we just watched that a lot of cities have gone dark. Miami's gone. Austin is under siege. First responders are overwhelmed. We're in a state of emergency. It's all over the country. The violence is spreading and not stopping. Due to the waves of violence currently sweeping the U.S., Mexican President Leon Garcia Soler and Canadian Prime Minister Sophie Kouesh are opening their borders for the next six hours. Mexico and Canada will take in anyone from America unarmed and give them sanctuary until order is reestablished in the U.S. We gotta go to Mexico. After six hours, both borders will be closing indefinitely. That's right, Matt. The latest film in the Purge series, The Forever Purge, which is probably 
the closest to what's really going to happen, I think, out of all the series so far. But uh, this one is, is uh, hitting your physical media. I actually saw this in the theater. Again, I felt like there were some interesting moments. I like some of the ideas in it, but it was ultimately just unsatisfying. And you can get a whole five movie collection, Matt, if you need to bank them all at the same at once. Because I'm assuming you haven't bought any of them, right? So now's your big chance. Yeah, I haven't bought any of them. I mean, it's one of those films that on any given weekend, um, you'll be able to find it on cable somewhere. True. So why buy them? Fair enough. So The Forever Purge is coming out. Also, the Sparks Brothers documentary from Edgar Wright is getting its release. Includes some deleted scenes and one special feature is a complete concert. I got to tell you, I'm completely ignorant of the Sparks Brothers. From what I understand, they're one of those bands that the bands like, like the uh, that that they were they sparked other musicians to get into music. They independent bands band. Are you familiar with the Sparks Brothers at all? You're much more musically versed than I am. Um, I'm actually not. I've never heard of them. Well, there you go. It's supposed to be a pretty good documentary uh, by Mr. Wright. Beats is being released. Two teenage boys in Scotland in 94. They're best friends with no control of their lives, Matt. They risk everything to attend an illegal rave, hoping for the best night of their boring lives. Features an audio commentary by the director and writer. Shout and ISC have joined up to release Blythe Spirit, featuring Isla Fisher, Dan Stevens, Leslie Mann, and Judy Dench. Seven college girls spend the weekend at an elegant estate, which begins as a fun-filled adventure, but ends in a nightmare of gut-wrenching terror. I don't think that's the right write-up for that. I don't think that's what that is at all. <laughs> that is the wrong one. I know it is. That is so funny. That's not play spirit. That was more like a dramatic kind of comedy, uh, a period piece. So you can ignore that. Kino Lorber is releasing Never Gonna Snow Again. This is a Polish film. Uh, a Ukrainian migrant working as a masseur in Poland becomes a guru-like figure in a gated community where his clients live. New to Blu-ray? Actually, he just passed, Matt. But Criterion is releasing Melvin Van Peoples, four films. Includes the story of a three-day pass, Watermelon Man, and Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, along with Don't Play Us Cheap. Brand new 4K digital restorations of all four films are included. Three early short films by Van Peoples as well. Uh, just a ton of features. I gotta admit, I don't think I've ever seen a Mario, uh, excuse me, a Melvin Van Peoples. Have I been saying Mario the whole time? No. I think so. I have not seen a Melvin Van Peoples uh, film at all. And I've, isn't Sweetback's Badass Song a, an adult film? Uh, I don't know. I've heard it I, referenced to things, but uh, I don't really know anything about it. Yeah, I think it, I think it is. Either way, includes a 64-page book featuring writings in the films. Uh, Criterion is also releasing The Damned, which, listen, folks. Out of all the covers that they have done, this is one of the more striking covers i've ever seen from criterion just google it the damned it is wow it is a powerful one in the wake of hitler's ascent to power the wealthy industrialist van assenbeck family and their associates including the scheming social climber frederick the incestuous matriarch sophie and the perversely cruel heir martin descend into self-destructive spiral of decadence greed perversion and all-consuming hatred as they vie for power over the family business and over one another sounds delightful a brand new 2k restoration of that one an alternate Italian language soundtrack, a uh, couple interviews, and more. Matt Arrow is releasing a deluxe steel book and a traditional release of the Ridley Scott film Legend, a film I have never seen. My mother, I remember being a big fan of the movie. Did you ever see Legend? I'm assuming you have. You're a big time. Yeah, fan I've seen Legend. Yeah, I'm surprised so, me. You've never seen it. No, nah, I haven't. I don't know what it was. I just never got around to checking it out. Have you? You're a big fan of Legend. I wouldn't describe myself as a big fan, but I've seen it. Fair enough. 
So there are some issues with this release. So from what I understand is that there is no UHD included. There's no 4K of this, just Blu-rays. And they did a 2K restoration of the US theatrical cut as well as resourced and reconstructed the original uh, Tangerine Dream score, which will play as a reconstructed isolated track for you while you watch the film. And includes the director's cut Blu-ray, which has already been released. So no new scan of the director's cut. There is an international cut that exists, which is uh, 93 minutes long, right? So the director's cut is 113. So it's a little longer than the theatrical, shorter than the director's. But the problem is there's some rights issues over it. And I guess that's supposedly the cleanest print that they have, but they can't really get their hands on it because uh, it's owned by one company, but its distribution rights belong to another company. So they couldn't really put it together. So that's why there is no UHD of uh, Legend. Includes an illustrated perfect bound book as well with new writings, a large double-sided poster, uh, full-color portraits, six double-sided poster cards, and more. But that's for the limited edition folks. There will be a standard edition released without the book and all the uh, goodies later on if you don't need any of that kind of stuff. Warner Archive is releasing the Marx Brothers classic A Night at the Opera. Kino is releasing a couple French films as well as some other stuff. The Hunter will get you a new commentary on that one. Illustrious Corpses, a brand new 4K restoration of that with a new commentary. Masquerade gets a 2K remaster with a new audio commentary. Seven Days, Seven Nights from 1960 gets an all-new audio commentary by Filmmaker. A Full Day's Work uh, is released as well. Severin is releasing a bunch of stuff. Drop Dead Fred. The uh, Phoebe Cates film is getting its proper Blu-ray release. Brand new 2K restoration of that one with a booklet with a new text interview with Ms. Cates, audio commentaries, conversations with the director, and more. Severin is also releasing Midnight, brand new 4K restoration of that. A teenage girl runs away from home because police officer stepfather puts the moves on her. Hitchhiking to California, she's picked up by two guys who are also traveling cross-country. They run across a family of Satanists who keep their dead mother in the attic. Severin is also releasing The Fourth Victim, the brand new 2K restoration. It's a rarely seen Jello, and you can finally pick that one up if you're a fan. They're also releasing a 2K restoration of A Day of Judgment. Vinegar Syndrome has a bunch of stuff coming out. Something I pre-ordered, the WNUF Halloween Special, which is a joint release with Terror Vision. Matt, this is a... Uh, it looks like it's a, a news, like a local news thing, where they go to look at a haunted house type thing. Uh, it's a uh, horror comedy. It's a, basically a fake news thing with with fake commercials filled into it, filled like with old video cameras uh, about a Halloween special from 1987 that goes horribly awry. It's supposed to be very, very good. I had never seen it, but the slipcase that they include, if you buy it directly from Vinegar Syndrome, Looks like a VHS slipcase. You know, it looks cool as hell. And I heard a lot of great things, so I blind bought it. Hopefully, it's going to be coming in the next few days. Uh, I did get a shipping notification. It's a brand new 2021 group commentary with the cast and crew. The original audio commentary from back in the day. Outtakes and bloopers. A whole bunch of stuff on that. Vinegar Syndrome is also releasing Resurrection. This is uh, only 5,000 copies of this one. This is a Russell Mulcahy film with Christopher Lambert. Brand new 2K restoration of that one. Blades, which is like a horror slasher film on a golf course. Brand new 2K restoration there. Shallow Grave, passing through a small Georgia town on her way to Florida. Four young college girls. Here it is. Witness the local sheriff murder a woman. They try to escape before he murders them too. Brand new 2K restoration from the 35mm on that one with an all-new commentary. Devil's Story, 
from Vinegar Syndrome, a zombie wearing a Nazi SS uniform terrorizes the French countryside, as they will do. Brand new 4K restoration of that. Girl School Screamers was supposed to come out August 31st, Matt, is now getting released this upcoming Tuesday. That's the one about the seven college girls who spend the weekend on an elegant estate, which begins as a fun-filled adventure, but ends up... Alter Innocence, along with Vinegar Syndrome, have come, teamed up to release Wild Tigers I Have Known. 14-year-old Logan is in the middle of middle school, crushing on a boy and daydreaming of another self and waiting to see a mountain lion. It's a brand new 2021 cut of the film. Uh, a featurette mix, I should say, about that. A pull-out poster, deleted scenes, audition tapes, and more. Vinegar Syndrome has teamed up with some other groups, too. Utopia Distribution to release four Mad Men only, the stories of Del Close. They're working with Gunpowder Sky to release, release Kid Candidate and Altered Innocence to release What Really Happened to Baby Jane. That is a series, it's a box set, Matt, uh, by Ray Harrison, who is a uh, underground California director in the 60s, and he would make gay and drag spoofs of classic films. So it includes Always on Sunday, What Really Happened to Baby Jane, The Roman Springs on a Mrs. Stone, Spy on the Fly, and All About Alice. Brand new 2K restorations on all of those. Vinegar is working with Saturn's core audio and video to release Duck, their Carbine High Massacre. This is kind of a satire on the high school shootings. So I guess there's that. And then Fun City with Vinegar Syndrome is releasing Primetime Panic. This is a group of three films, Death Ride to Osaka, Dreams Don't Die, and Freedom from the prolific production duo of Leonard Hill and Philip Mendelker, who made a bunch of made-for-TV movies back in the day in the 80s. Code Red is releasing Story of a Woman. Karen studies music in Rome and falls in love with Bruno. She learns that he is married and therefore returns to Sweden. She meets David. They marry and have a daughter. David is sent to Rome. Karen meets Bruno again. And see. Media Blaster is releasing a couple films. X-Cross. Recovering from a failed love affair. She already heads to the country, Matt, in the company of her best friend and bad girl, Eiko. Having taken a long soak in a hot spring, they retire to their respective cabins. They soon discover that the tranquil village is a home of a cult, Matt, with a fetish for cutting off female legs. Media Blaster is also releasing Shadow Dead Riot, this one featuring horror icon Tony Todd, delivering his most powerful and evil performance as Shadow, an executed and resurrected serial killer who invades a woman's prison in search of the girl only known as Solitaire. And Matt getting a 4K release, the OG heartbreaking film, a film, Matt, that devastated both of us as children. Well, now you can get it at 4K. Transformers the movie. Arrow's releasing Children of the Corn in 4K. I'm going to be honest with you folks. It's not a good movie. It's very boring. Are you a fan of Children of the Corn, Matt? No, not really. Good. It also includes a special feature, Disciples of the Crow, a 1983 short film adaptation of the same story. And a whole bunch of interviews, some archival stuff mostly. Uh, Three from Hell, the Rob Zombie film, is getting a 4K release via Best Buy through a steelbook. And then Matt, you're straight to DVD pick of the week. Time to wake up. Commando Ninja. John Hunter is a Vietnam veteran, half commando, half ninja, 100% American. He is forced back into action when his young daughter is kidnapped by a secret ninja organization led by a Central American dictator who wants to create a new world order through time. Unfortunately for them, she's the only thing he would kill again for. Hunter will have to fight his way through armies of ninjas, Viet Cong, punks, dinosaurs, mutants, and one of his former commandos and a fully equipped private army. With the help of his old pal Hopkins, Hunter will have to combine the arts of ninjutsu and guerrilla warfare 
become the ultimate soldier, and rescue his daughter. Matt, I think we have to see Commando Ninja. What should we be streaming this week? So in honor of Cry Macho and Clint Eastwood, I'm going to recommend um, three quintessential Westerns that are available on HBO Max. That is uh, Leone's uh, Dollars Trilogy, um, A Fistful of Dollars for a Few Dollars More, and The Good and the Bad and the Ugly. Um, Really the thing that put Clint Eastwood on the map and defined what a Western should be for an entire generation of people. And they are absolutely fantastic. It is so funny because I recently just watched those like two weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. I popped my Blu-rays in. I don't know why I was in the mood to watch them. And man, they're awesome. All right, Matt, let's let's get <laughs> let's get going. I'm really excited about this one. And I'm Yay. sad that you are not. We'll see you. Maybe you loved it. Who knows? Sometimes there's a diamond in the rough there. Let's talk a little bit about Karen. Oh, so tell me about your new neighbors. Hey, <laughs> they're black. Really? Mm-hmm. Can you believe it? Well, are they good people? I mean, where do they come from? I mean, I talked to the husband for a couple minutes, but I didn't get anything out of them. They did leave their trash out on the curb. After the trash had been picked up? Yes. That is not a good start. You're telling me. <sighs> Matt, really, folks, you, <laughs> you have to see the woman's face that Karen is talking to when she says they're black. And she's like, <gasps> and the whole movie basically is like that. So Taryn Manning, which you may know from Orange is the New Black. She played the hillbilly, um, what did they call her? I can't remember now. I, I gave up on that show after three seasons, and I haven't watched it since. I don't even know if we made it through the third season. Either way, she plays a woman named Karen Drexler. Uh, she's the uh, HOA president there in their little buildings, uh, housing f- facility complex thing. And a young black couple moves into the neighborhood. And Matt, she ain't having it. And Karen basically attempts to be a man man what does it attempt to be so it 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 tries to it, it's a mystery not a mystery it's a th- horror thriller about crazy white ladies basically right trying to take advantage of the whole karen if you will meme the phenomenon that is the the upper middle class white woman who is just upset and aghast at all things that provide her the slightest discomfort in her day, basically, right? <laughs> Through, obviously, a racial lens. Matt, let me ask you. Is Karen an instant cult classic or an unrepentant disaster? Or both? Both, possibly. I can tell you, for me, it is an unredeemable disaster. I hated every second of this. And this is... Look, guys. Okay. I'm going to level set it with you here, Okay. I don't watch Hallmark movies. Somebody else here does. I don't watch Lifetime movies. Somebody else on this podcast has gotten really excited by Lifetime movies. And this isn't one of those things where it's like, it's so bad, it's good. I have low tolerance for that because most of the time it's it's so bad, it's just bad. And that's basically what this is. I will say it wouldn't surprise me at all if there this becomes some kind of cult classic and people watch this thing 
but it's just so amateur hour for most of it. And there's so much that you could pick apart. I mean, I knew I was in trouble within the first five minutes of this film. The, the black couple, they move into their new house. They're talking about how great it is. They walk outside and literally <laughs> Taryn Manning's character is like a hundred feet away. She says, hi. And the look they give her is like, like she took a dump on their lawn. Like they give her this look like she's, they already know that she's the total embodiment of evil. And she's literally saying hi. And she's like, you can't even see her face. She's so far away. And it's just like, that's the kind of subtlety we're dealing with here guys. And this thing just gets, just goes downhill from there. It's so stupid. And I'm really curious to hear what my, my, my esteemed co-host here has to say about it. So I, I was nervous while going into this thing that I was going to get really angry and riled up by this film. And Matt, it is a blast. It is. It's just, it is so hilarious from beginning to end because it, it hits all the tropes, right? I mean, everything you can think of that's happened when it comes to the whole Karen thing, there's the interaction with the people in the park where she doesn't like the way they look and don't belong in the neighborhood, so she calls the cops, right? There's the, there's the part where she then becomes infatuated with with Malik, you know, because there's that whole thing where where in the end, women really want the black body, they right? Even though they're supposedly hate them because they're racist, and it, there's the fact that the they don't call it the clan though. It's what the brotherhood or something to that effect, where Karen is a member as well as her brother. Who Matt? Would you want to just venture a guess what his job is? Just what his, what career does he have? He's a cop, of course. Yeah. Of course, he's a cop. So I mean, every single there's the scene where even in that scene we just heard where they're at a restaurant and there are two black gentlemen who they feel are being loud. And she speaks to them and then has them kicked out. I mean, every single thing you can think of, right? And it's my thing I've struggled with. Does it harm the seriousness of which this stuff is all about, right? Is it, I mean, it, I, I wonder when the stuff in this, this movie is so over the top, does it actually, is it actually detrimental to, the, to its message? maybe I like, I don't, I don't think so because again, you're using the term message, like in, in the most flimsy of terms, this thing is really at its core is designed to elicit a response and to entertain, you know, it's basically taking these kind of all this surface level stuff that you see from browsing Reddit or watching Facebook, or even just watching the news. They basically pick all this stuff out and it's all ridiculous. I think generally I would hope that most people know that those people, the, that real life Karens are nothing to be, well, one, they're exist and they're bad people, but they're not anything to be afraid of. So like, there's like this whole, using the term message seems a little forced to me because I feel like it's, it's like saying Nazis are bad. I kept wondering too, is this like a, a real life malignant thing so the issue some people had malignant right was that they didn't get what that was happening that it was kind of over the top on purpose and it's an homage to all of that stuff and i didn't know is the camp in this on purpose all right is it is this so crazy because it's it's kind of a satire i 
I was going back and forth on that. I was like, no, and then, no, but then in the not. end, Ben Crump shows up, and I was crestfallen. I could not believe that he showed up in this film. Now, you're not familiar with Ben Crump. He is an attorney who specializes in civil rights uh, cases. He's been hired by a lot of the families for the stuff we've seen over the last few years. And just seeing him in this, I just really, I felt like, oh, no, 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 Ben. No, don't, don't do this. I mean, because it, 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 it makes me think that, that this, this film is not supposed to be campy at all. That it's supposed to be like a hyper version of everything that, that is happening. And I, it really it made me sad in the end after having a blast with this thing, Matt, for the, you know, for the majority of its runtime. Certain films, when they're over the top, right, can really shine a light on their subject matter. Exploitation cinema is big with that. But this is, it doesn't. It takes all of these these things that happen and then almost turns them into a joke because it's so over the top. And I think in the end, it does a disservice to itself by doing so. It's crazy and it's it's too bad. I'm not sure what to say. I think the performances all around are mostly dreadful. Taryn Manning is Karen Drexler. You have Cordy Hardick is, is Malik. Jasmine Perker is Amani. Every, but everything is just, it's so Matt B-movie, Hallmark amateur hour-esque from start to finish. But the camp in it, the, the ridiculousness is so wonderful at times. And that's how these cult classics happen, right? You can't set out to make a really bad film that turns out to be really entertaining. You can't do it. Because audiences can smell it a mile away. You have to try to be dedicated and committed to doing something great that just fails miserably. That's where your time you always do the rooms come in, right? That's a very passionate project for that guy who's just nuts. And I look at this and I'm thinking, okay, for me, Matt, I think this does fall into instant cult classic. Because it is just a mess from beginning to end. It is so crazy, so ridiculous. I mean, if they had any cojones whatsoever to, you know, borrow a phrase from Clint, um, she would have got away with everything, right? If you really wanted to make this the drama, the, the, the social commentary that at times I think they're trying to go for, then her brother kills everybody and, you know, in, in, her, in her defense and everything goes away and everybody's fine, right? I mean, and I should say they get away with it. That's the thriller that I think would have been shocking and unrepentant and all that stuff. But not this. This is instant cult classic stuff, Matt. I got two grades for it. It's F and A. Yeah, see, I have to completely disagree with that A because I think you just talked yourself. I, I mean, the exact point that I wanted to make, I know satire. This is not satire. This is just amateur hour. And to pretend that it's anything but a trifle and a poorly made one at that what if it's is just satire. It's not even, but it's not even I'm saying that it's that it went out. You know that it's it's set out to be sat- satirical is giving the movie too much credit. Again, and here's the thing: the room or Birdemic. There's something about those films that they become cult classics. How many Lifetime or Hallmark films are actually cult classics? I can't name any off the top of my head. Can you? 
Um, I don't think so. No, this is BET though. This isn't you know. Let's, let's give BET. Yeah, which is a net, which is a television network. Yeah, this is a this is a made-for-TV movie. It, this was this came up as BET stands for Black Entertainment Television. This this is their subset of BET for her. Okay, this is literally the BET version of a Lifetime movie. That's, That's what true. this is. This is not. This is. This is a cynical cash grab by a bunch of suits sitting in a in the BET offices. This is not a passion project of some you know filmmaker who just some activist whose reach exceeded his grasp. Yeah, that's just you're right. Yeah, it's it's probably more just yeah. There's a, there's a hot thing right now with Karen's. Let's push out a uh, BET for her <laughs> lifetime Hallmark original to try and cash in on that stuff. Yeah, I mean that's entirely possible and dare I say likely. But I still <laughs> laughed out loud. I was so full disclosure. I was away this last few days, and I actually watched this on my iPad on the plane, and I was laughing hysterically over and over, where people were kind of looking at me because I'm not going to lie, man. I had a blast with this thing because it's just so over the top. It's so crazy. It's and so bad. But I have an affection for bad cinema. I own. Birdemic. I have an autographed copy of The Room. I love this kind of stuff. And for the most part, this worked for me, but clearly not for you. Yeah, I have a low tolerance for those type of films. Now, there are exceptions like The Room is Sublime and just its ineptitude, but I don't think this is, this is not elevated by its incompetence. So I'm going to give it an F. I did not like this at all. And I hope that you have the convictions to come land down on an actual grade whatever that is you pick a grade and you and and you you go with it sir <laughs> i mean probably it's an f but it's it's just for me it's so bad that it's good i feel like i can't really give it an, an official a because i need some craftsmanship and i actually need some intent some message some story some you know it's but it's not it's entertaining schlock and it's it's horrible but i found it enjoyable that's that's my thought on karen if you've had a chance to see Karen and you loved it as much as Matt did, shoot us an email at feedback at the first run dot com. It's available to rent um on demand basically everywhere. So knock yourself out. Or from Matt's opinion, probably better off just to literally knock yourself out instead of watching. Or, or if you you know, if you're one of the few people who have a cable subscription, because it is a made for TV movie, you can stream this for free very, very easily through BET. There you go. Good times. Uh, okay. <laughs> let's just keep going, Matt. Let's close out the show with the return of everybody's favorite role-playing game, Who Dat. Matt, who are you going to be this week? You ready? Here's a hint for your uh, number one. Uh, and a lot of people here worked on five pictures with me. And I know there's a lot of things said about what I think about these films and all of those or whatever, but I've loved every single second of these movies, and especially this one, because I've got up every morning and I've had the chance to work um, with you guys. And that has been one of the greatest honors of my life. So That, of course, is partially uh, part of Daniel Craig's farewell speech at the end of filming for No Time to Die, a film that I hear is actually going to come out in less than a month, but who knows, really. Matt, so there you go. You are Daniel Craig. Your tenure as James Bond has ended. What are your thoughts on playing James Bond? And I feel like you haven't really been typecast like the rest of them have been. Right? I mean, Connery was eventually able to get outside of it, but it took him a long time. 
And Dalton only did the two films. I just don't, and a Brosnan hasn't really, I think, gotten out of it. Moore definitely never escaped the shadow of Bond. And Lazenby, well, Lazenby. What are your thoughts? Well, I think it, I accomplished what I set out to do with these films. So I played an iconic role. Uh, my name will be remembered as far as being a part of this franchise and for whatever else happens in the rest of my career, people will always remember these, these films. And I think that's important to me as being a part of a, a you know, a British institution um, for, you know, their contribution to action cinema. But at the same time, I'm happy it's over with, um, you know, getting a little older, it's getting a little harder to do these things. And they have started to get a little, um, challenging for me or boring for me. So I'm, I'm ready to move on, but I enjoyed my time on it. And I, I hope that people remember me as one of the better, if not maybe best bonds that there were. I think he is. I think he's number two for me behind Connery. Mm -hmm. Where would you mm -hmm. rank him? Yeah, I would rank him number two behind Connery for sure. Like I don't like more at all. He would be dead last for me. I always feel bad. I don't feel bad, but I think it's disappointing that he didn't get to. He could have made more. I mean, there were such long periods of time between Bond films during his tenure. I really think it was a missed opportunity because he was so good in the role that they could have. Nah, who knows if he would have kept doing a couple more? But I mean, I don't know. They threw a ton of money at him for this last one. But still, uh, it's been a great run. And you know what? I feel like I need to remember when I said, "Oh, I'm convinced how this is going to end." And that they'd stated that you know they're going to do something with this Bond film that's never been done before. I've softened on that. I'm wondering if I am wrong. I'm I'm hoping I'm wrong. Now uh, to reset, my whole thing about that is that I think they're going to introduce where the Bond name is just a code name going forward, and there'll be different James Bonds, and that's how they'll explain it. But I think maybe Fukunaga was talking about maybe was Lashana Lynch being. I don't know if this is a spoiler. I mean, I think it's pretty much out there. She's 007. So maybe that's what he's talking about, is that mm -hmm. they have a, a black woman as a British agent, as, as a mm -hmm. double O, which has not, I don't believe, has been done before. W wasn't she already a 006? In the, wasn't, she, wasn't her designation 006 in the last one? No, she wasn't in the last one. Okay. I could have swore... What am I thinking of? I'm now uh, granted. I'm behind. I didn't. I haven't seen Spectre. I think you're referring to when they introduced Monty Penny, and she was a field agent. Okay, but she wasn't a double O. Okay, was a I, thought she was, I thought she was. She, I thought was she was. I thought she was 006. Okay. Yeah, and she ended up going behind because she. And that's in Skyfall, and then Spectre is where she's officially Monty Penny. Um, and she's okay. no longer in the field. Okay. Yeah, I never saw Spectre since you talked so ill of it, so um, I never. Well, you're gonna have it. to watch it now, right? We're wrapping up the whole series. Everything is connected. I guess we'll see. <laughs> I gotta start watching them. I think this. No, oh, I'm going away again this week. I gotta start, I gotta start watching them all. I want to kind of watch them all at once and then go see it. Nerd. All right, all right. So let's stick it on the James Bond train. Um, this is my number three, but I'll move it up to the front. So since we'll stay on topic here, um, so director Kerry Fukunawa made some disparaging comments about uh, Sean Connery's uh, 
portrayal of James Bond and how he thinks that is disappointing. So, your Carrie Fukunawa, how do you think Chris P. Scalzo of the first run feels about your comments about Sean Connery's Bond? <laughs> I haven't heard this at all. What has he said? That basically he doesn't agree with that he's this drunk womanizer and he's this misogynist and oh, that yeah. uh, he's not he's not something to be looked up to and he shouldn't be a celebrated character or bond um, because of the kind of way that he acts and treats people, especially women. Oh, I would say a who the hell is Chris Peter Scalzon? Why would I care about him and his middling <laughs> podcast? But um, I don't even know who Chris P. Scalzo is. I know who Chris Scalzo is. I don't know why you keep doing this. You keep doxing me. Anyway, so, but he, I think Chris P. Scalzo or Chris Scalzo would also agree with you. <laughs> I mean, there is, there is nothing incorrect about those comments whatsoever. And it's entirely right. I, you, I, I would not be, I don't think, a good thing to kind of have the role be like that now. It's a part of it. It's a time. It's just, it's. It was then, and I, I just don't think it works today. No, absolutely. I think Craig's did a little bit of women womanizing, but he wasn't as dismissive. I mean, you think about Goldfinger, right? When they first show up in Nassau, and um, he introduces Felix to Dink, and, and he, he pushes it by slaps her on her butt and says, bye-bye, Dink, men talk. Right? I mean, it's, yeah, it's really humiliating. So, um, yeah, no, I don't disagree with him. So do you agree, though, that they shouldn't be, that they shouldn't be upheld as this kind of standard or that even somebody like Sean Connery, when everybody says James Bond, his portrayal is like the one that everybody thinks of and is the one that is the standard that he's being held up to? It's not It's not the womanizing and the misogyny that people think – see – that's a byproduct or a, well, of, of what the role is. It's not the, the Connery's key. His key to his performance is why Craig's is so good. It's because there is a, a sinisterness in his eyes that not is that he's suave, he's good looking, whatever the case may be. But there is something in him that you you could see. Yeah, that guy'd kill you. I mean, and that's what it is. It, it's very, it's this cold calculating, but also this suaveness. There's just something that he has. It's just a presence. It's not the fact that people don't look up to him. I never looked up to James Bond because of how he treated women, right? And it's not how it is. When you're younger and you, you get into Bond as a guy, as a boy in your early teens, which is typically where it happens. Uh, or maybe even you're late, you know, you're, I don't know, maybe 12, 13. And it's cool to see a guy with a lot of attractive women. Absolutely. But I wasn't focused on the misogyny of it. It's more like, oh, wow. And it's, but it's all the stunts. It's the action, too. And when you get older is when you realize it's also, too, why Connery is so good. As I say, it's just that it's just the presence and how, you know, just... He'd kill you just as look at you, and you could just see it. I don't know. I feel like I'm not answering your question to your satisfaction. <laughs> it's okay. I know I've I dropped a bomb on he, um, on you here, and uh, I made you forced to defend something that you love dearly. No, you did very much gap ban me. But no, I think it's. 
I just think that's not what it is. That's not when people stock up the bonds. I think they may, it's not the misogyny is what sticks out to people as why it was such an attractive thing. Maybe it was in the 60s. I don't know. But for me, that's never how it was. It was more just, it was just fun and cool. Minus the misogyny part. Let's not even get into Live and Let Die. You want to talk about a problematic film. Bond goes to Harlan. Matt, you are Christopher Nolan. You have signed a deal. You have left Warner Brothers and signed a deal with Universal, which gives you total creative control. A guaranteed around $100 million budget, $100 million marketing budget, 20% of the first dollar gross, and Universal cannot release any other movies for three weeks before or after your movie is released, and you get an exclusive theatrical window of 100 days and possibly more before streaming. I was going to ask you why to go to Universal, but I think we now know why. What's going on? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so obviously I'm the greatest auteur of our time. Mm. No one is a better filmmaker than me. Mm. This is, and again, I'm I'm role playing as Christopher Nolan. I believe he believes his own hype. That's um, true. So good point. I, you know, I made demands, and Universal caved them, and honestly, it became kind of a game um, to see how much I could ask for and how much they would actually do. Um, <laughs> and I'm yes. surprised they <laughs> they agreed to it. But hey. If they're gonna do it, they're gonna do it. Um, the 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 six weeks in total of them not releasing any other films around my film, and uh, the lengthening streaming window, considering that shortening everywhere else, I think that really really says a lot about where Universal is and my poll. And um, I guarantee it's not going to be a financial disappointment. Or a critical disappointment, unlike my last like two or three films. That's not nice. Last two or three? So we know Tenant didn't make a ton of money. It wasn't particularly beloved by the critics. Interstellar has kind of a reputation for being sappy. Um, sure. I don't know how much money it made, but I don't think it set the world on fire necessarily. And Dunkirk... I, again, I don't know how much money it made, but I think it did okay, but it wasn't like, again, like it was like an all timer kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Cost a hundred to 150 to make cleared about 527. I made 527 didn't clear. Cleared about four. And that was a much shorter film that let you let the theaters run it a lot longer. You know, a lot more times a day. Yeah. All right. Well, I know I'm a little disappointed, but, uh, you can't, you certainly shouldn't be. (laughs) <laughs> my turn yeah sure what do you got you're denis villeneuve uh-huh. why is such an elitist asshole with your comments about uh about uh, the mcu well first off i am the greatest living auteur director <laughs> and we have battle royale christopher <laughs> nolan and denis villeneuve two men under one man leave honestly i think i would if i if you made me choose i'd probably go denis right now over oh yeah i would too Oh, definitely. But um, the, listen, you can, if you disagree in the comments, it doesn't mean I'm wrong. I think I'm entirely right about that. And I think the the co-host of this middling podcast would agree with me, Chris Scalzo. He uh, wouldn't really, I mean, I wouldn't find my views that shocking. But no, there is, listen, there's two types of cinema. All right. There's the art housey type stuff 
and then there's the mainstream stuff, right? And there's some stuff that we're in a point, we're in a, in a world right now of entertainment that is all about content. You find a model that works and you churn it out. Some franchises, sometimes they do really well with it and they have some hits and misses like the aforementioned Bond franchise. There's a very strict template with that that they've actually tried to break with this last series of films. Uh, but when you get into a major corporation that has these stockholders and they rely on this stuff for their bottom lines, you find something that works and da- gosh darn it, you're going to stick with it. I'm sorry, I'm supposed to be French, aren't I? Wee oui, wee. Oui. So, no, I yeah, I don't, I don't really think. Here's where I struggle with all this stuff. It's the same thing with the Scorsese stuff. It doesn't matter. I don't know why people make a big deal out of this stuff. Denny is an auteur. He is. He is one of the greatest living directors we have right now, and he makes these really fascinating, large format, gorgeous art house kind of sci-fi brain tinglers you know i mean arrival is probably one of the best films of the past 10 20 years Mm. it's that good sicario as well is exceptional his blade runner 2049 maybe a little long at points but still a visual marvel pardon the pun and i can't think of a single mcu film that comes up to measure against any of those movies yeah, so I think I think part of the issue with this is he it seems to be he's playing a dangerous game because and, and don't get me wrong, I really like Denny Villanueva's films. I really enjoy them. I think they're great. I think he's a great director and I love the visual look of them, but he's playing with fire by antagonizing your audience for a movie that you've got coming out that is a big spectacle, hopefully tentpole film in Dune that's coming out in a couple in a couple of months, which I have no doubt will be great, but why would you poke the audience that you're hoping to come to your movie when you were supposed to make kind of a lot of money on Blade Runner 2049, which was a huge financial disappointment. So you're already on incredibly thin ice to go out there and say that it almost imply that the reason I'm not as successful with these huge temple films that are supposed to be making all this money is because the audience is stupid because they like things that are like the MCU cookie cutter. That seems incredibly short-sighted to me and a little snobby. Well, first off, I got a few things to tell you about artists. But yeah, no, it's listen, from an outside window, it does does not make a lot of sense. You're entirely right. If your if your existence existence and the promotion of your films relies on you just becoming everything you despise, but just churning this stuff out and saying, Oh yeah, no, I love that. I there's just certain artists, Matt, they can't do it. And they speak up because their their work is their passion and they believe so much into it, in it. I understand the 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 drive to, to do that. I get it. But I don't disagree with you. I mean, the they will review bomb probably that this is still percolating when Doom comes out. They will review bomb the hell out of it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh hopefully some agent will get to him and say, you know, Denny, 
when you're having a, a cafe or something with your family or with your friends, you know, in Paris or you know something like that, that's fine. But let's stay off the the, the you know the uh, the foghorn with this stuff. All right, just let's not cut out a quarter or half of our audience from the get go. Because yeah. listen, just I think with Blade Runner, I think this is even going to have a harder time pulling people into the theaters. Because I just don't think there are as many Dune heads there are out there as there are Blade Runner heads. I just don't yeah. think they exist as much. Yeah, I think you're right. I think what's what if Dune does well, and I hope it does. It'll be the the kind of strength of the spectacle of what you saw in the in the trailers. But I guess I just want to. My final point will be this: for whatever you think of the MCU and their artistic merits, um, one thing you can't. Well, two things you can't really deny. As an overall, their quality is pretty consistent. And that's something you can't say for a lot of franchises, right? And two, people have really connected with these. these they have an emotional investment with the entirety of the story. And for whatever else and whatever other criticisms you have of this, you know, people were really emotionally invested in in these films to an extent that we haven't seen some something like harry potter you know and i i just think that it's foolish basically with such a passionate fan base and people that have actually they pulled off having people actually care about this stuff intensely that you know i i, I think that's at least an accomplishment in and of itself yeah i always go back and forth with this stuff because i feel like if any genre is perfect for a movie experience, it's superhero movies. I I really I can't come up with a better thing to to capture the imagination of cinema, what cinema does for people in the theater, particularly like me, than some grand adventure, right? I I can't. I think it's it's the perfect the perfect vehicle for movies is uh the superhero genre but the problem we have is then when it gets well we've had this conversation a dozen times so yeah we'll see what happens i'm not um yeah i don't know i think dune's gonna look great i hope it does well as well i really do we'll see what happens all right man i got one more for you you are kathleen kennedy president and CEO, basically, right, of all things Star Wars at Disney. Are we actually now getting oversaturated with Star Wars? I know a lot of people were saying that when the movies hit, you know, we had the Solo film, we had the Rogue film, all this stuff was happening, and they said, maybe we need to pull back on the films. But now, not only do we have The Mandalorian, right, and then The Bad Batch is currently playing, Visions is out on Disney+. Plus. The Book of Boba Fett, Andor, Obi-Wan Kenobi, The Acolyte, Ashoka, Rangers of the New Republic, Lando. All these are series going to be launching on Disney Plus within the next, what, year to two years? Maybe a little longer? Are we oversaturating now? Or is it the fact that they're going to be on the streaming platform Disney Plus enough to contain that oversaturation? Yeah, I think you just nailed it right there. I think by the sheer fact that these are not um films that are have all of the associations with that uh, you know the marketing that we have to blast out um you know the happy meal tie-ins and the toys and all that kind of stuff 
these are just putting series out there and people can choose to watch them or not. And there are a subset of fans that will watch all of it. And we are obviously kind of making sure that they stay around, but you know, there are plenty of other people who are not going to watch some of these things. Like um, one of my favorite podcast hosts, his name's Matt Howell is not watching the bad batch because he's not really into the, the star Wars cartoons as much as he is, uh, you know, star Wars in general, but I don't think at any point that this caters, all of these things kind of cater to different audiences and people can choose to either consume them or not at their own time. It's not like they have to make some big grand statement um, off of these films and that everybody's going to be picking them apart like they would be for um, film. Television, I think, in a lot of ways is a lot more forgiving than cinema. What do we know about Lando? Is that the one where, because all right, that is live action, right? They're gonna have a or just an animator. I know Billy D is supposed to be what narrating it or something like that, providing okay. some. I'm, I don't know if Donald Glover comes back in any capacity. I'm in, but I, I really don't know that much about the Lando show. Yeah, I think it's what I heard. Maybe I'm making that up. I don't know. I could have sworn that's what it was gonna be though. It's supposed to be an event series, whatever that means. Okay. I mean, I am looking forward to Obi Wan Kenobi. Because mm-hmm. you know McGregor's coming back, yep. and Boba Fett, I guess. Like you said, I haven't watched any of the animated series. I have never watched the the uh, Clone War show, which I hear is supposed to actually be pretty good, but I haven't seen that either. So, is Ahsoka going to be live action with uh, Rosario Dawson? Because I'll be I, in if it's a cartoon. I'll be I'll be setting that one out. But if it's a live action, I would be in for it. I don't know. That's a good question. It says here her story will continue in a limited series starring Rosario Dawson. Okay, so I guess that means it's going to be live action. Because she didn't do the voice on the cartoon as far as I'm aware. Okay. So there you go. Interesting. Good times. All right, well, let's talk. I I saw this posted on Reddit, so I'm going to ask of Chris, even though he gets tired of me asking instantly you questions but i do have one so i want his, his opinion Yay. your master your mastermind kevin feige what does the mcu look like if you have all your properties day one ah so i have like spider-man x-men fantastic four all that stuff from yep. the very beginning mm-hmm. well i still think the infinity war stuff happens it's just much larger maybe takes another year or two to get to <laughs> um but I th- we, I don't know, man. We probably would have done Galactus a lot sooner. Do we even make an, an Iron Man movie? Oh, that's interesting. Man, that is a what-if scenario, huh? How do you backtrace that? backtrack that, though? Because, I mean, everything was successful, right, because of that Iron Man film. Right. Because of Robert Downey Jr. was the key to all of that. So do you just cast him in a different role? If they don't do don't that, know. do you start with something else? Because you would it makes sense, right, that you would not start with Iron Man. Well, I don't know. I think he does. I think you get Downey Jr. and you know if there's any character he's perfect to play, it's Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it I think that's it that is how it all starts. Yes. Still think they go with Iron Man. See, I don't I don't know about that. Well, who else would he 
I think again, I think I believe the linchpin is is RDJ. Who do you have him play that's not Tony Stark then? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I see. I can't separate RDJ from from Iron Man, so I don't know who he would play. Um, yeah, I really don't know. But I, I think would you start with Spider Man? I assume. Yeah, I would. I would think that they're either going to start with Spider Man or Fantastic Four, um, or even the, somebody on the or X Men. Yeah, maybe X Men. The problem with the Fantastic Four is you had two films that were not very good, right. and I think that and the X Men films too were. I mean, it's not like those films never existed. The Fox ones, right? You're just saying since day one because they did precede the the. Yeah. MCU proper. So I don't know if they would, I think that may have been too soon as well. I know Hollywood's got this weird thing where they don't like to use a property right away if it's right. just been done. That's why you don't see stuff for a while, though. I don't know. So I don't think it would have been X-Men. I think Spider-Man, and they just did this amazing Spider-Man movies too, so. But he is the guy. I mean, he is the Marvel's mascot, basically, for lack of a better turn. Yeah. Interesting. Probably, we definitely wouldn't have gotten the Guardians of the Galaxy, I don't think. No. No, that would have... No, I don't think so at all. That is interesting. I wonder what else would not have happened. You probably wouldn't... Would you get an Ant-Man? Probably not. Probably not, no. Hell, I mean, I don't even know if they go with Avengers. Like, I don't even know... Do they even bother with Thor? You know, I mean, maybe Captain America because he's so recognizable, the Hulk because he's so popular from like the old 70s TV show and people being recognizing him. But yeah, I don't even know if you, if they even lean into the Avengers until much later. That is really, because you're right, because I'm trying to place, do this in, in my head. So you're right. The ones you would focus on are your big properties. So it would be Spider-Man, X-Men, right? And then... Probably Captain America, probably the Hulk, because he said he's a pre-existing, well-known property. That's what you would focus on. You could probably expand a lot through the X-Men, because there's a lot of ground to mine there. Mm -hmm. And then maybe the Fantastic Four. And then Wolverine gets his own side series. You make your own messed up, like, PG version of Deadpool? (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting. We probably would be in a very different place if they had all those from the get-go. And a lot of those side films would never happen. I agree with you. I don't think Guardians of the Galaxy ever happens. Which is weird to me. But you never... I don't... I, I, I would need to know how that started, though. Did Gunn say, I want to do Guardians? Or did they say, hey, we want to do something with Guardians, and they hired Gunn? Yeah, I don't know. So they probably wouldn't, they would get around to Thor. And that's another thing I think of perfect casting because those first two Thor films are not good. But Hemsworth is good in it. Yeah. Well, again, no, not until Ragnarok. I don't think he, if I'm going to be perfectly honest with myself, I don't think I cared about Thor either way until Ragnarok and then the Infinity films. I also find it incredibly distracting that for the first Thor film, they dyed his eyebrows blonde. <laughs> I can't unsee it every time I see him on TV. Yeah. 
I wonder if we got a block widow film earlier. No, we definitely not because we probably wouldn't have done she wouldn't have been an Avenger. Probably. No. No. Wow, that's a crazy what if, Matt. You like what I did there? What yeah. If? I do. Way to be topical. We would have got a Black Panther film. I think that still would have happened. Yeah, eventually. I think we would have gotten one. But no, I yeah, I don't even know if we get. I don't know if we get Doctor Strange. Like, I don't know if we get. I don't. I don't know if we get like seventy five percent of those films. Probably not. The focus would definitely be Spider Man and the X Men, and then go from there. I don't know. I feel like, unfortunately, this is something I need to sit on and think about for a while instead of just <laughs> giving <laughs> so to me can, like this now on the fly. Yeah, just coming off with the cuff. Yeah, I can't. I feel like this needs requires a lot of thought. Anything else? I'm no, good. I think that's it. I'm done. I'm, my list. Now you're going to make me think about this for like the rest of the day. Sorry. <sighs> Fine. Who are your who dads? How do you answer? Who do you want included? Shoot us an email. Feedback at thefirstrun.com. We do take suggestions. So if you got a name, let us know. Matt, coming up next week. I don't even, you'd think running this damn show, yeah, I would know, I know what we're going to talk about all the time. I know what we're do. talking about. Uh, we're talking about Cop Shop, oh, yeah. and we're kicking off Spooky Season with The Empty Man. That's right. I have seen Cop Shop already. so I have not, so I have to get on it. I saw, when I was in New York this past few days ago, I saw a film called Azor, which is set in Argentina during the Juntas went to stage there when they had the 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 unrest and the civil war and stuff and matt that film floored me it's got one of the best endings of a film i've seen in years so folks if you get a chance to see azor check it out it's it's it just it, it bobs and weaves with you and in the end it just lays you out and it's really good all right Check us out, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Just search for The First to Run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually you will find us. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a review. It'll help other people find the show, and we will read that bad bear in the air. And that's it, Matt. So why don't we go ahead and uh, take an extended break, everybody. Please take care of yourselves. Get vaccinated. We love you very much. And we will see you soon. Take care. That's the chick who got me kicked out of the restaurant. Who, Karen? Yes, the Karen. You see how she just walked by without even acknowledging me? What's her name? Karen. Right, but what's her real name? Karen, I just told you that. So, Karen is a Karen. Boy, God has a sense of humor.